Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I am Michael J. Sutton, and this is our June podcast. The heart of the Christian message is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We find those words in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. At Freedom Matters today, our focus is on freedom from guilt and shame, sin and death, fear and despair, past and prejudice, fascism and tyranny, and war and conflict. Since November last year, I've published seven books, four books on faith and life, and three novels. The books on faith and life have focused on freedom from fascism and tyranny, and freedom from fear and despair. The first book was Freedom from Fascism, A Christian Response to Mass Formation Psychosis, and this book looked at COVID hysteria, COVID theology, the response of the churches to the COVID pandemic, as well as reflections on what it means to be a Christian in today's world. And what does church mean? What does following Jesus mean? And what does God do on sun, uh, outside of Sunday? What does he do during the week? In the second book, Is America on God's Side? I look at matters to do with free speech, citizenship, our participation in society and within our nation from a Christian perspective. I think if you are interested in free speech, then my chapter on free speech might be very beneficial for you. Also, I look at the nature of citizenship and confront the idea of what it means to be a Christian and uh, not confusing the faith and flag, which is what a lot of Christians do. They confuse faith and flag. This third book, which is Is Russia Our Enemy, looks at the uh, reality that We do not struggle against flesh and blood, says Paul, but against principalities and powers. And so from the point of view of uh, the Bible, uh, we do not, in fact, have any enemies. Our enemies are not flesh and blood, and we need to resist efforts by authorities and powers to uh, force us to demonize other men and women made in the image of God. The final book on faith and life was following Jesus when the church has lost its way, which is like a guidebook enabling us to understand the nature of freedom for Christians and for those who seek to follow God outside of the church, outside of the institutional church. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And These are the questions that this book um, raises and seeks to answer. But I've also published a number of novels, uh, the first novel that was published in May, uh, March, sorry, this year was The Third Tsunami. The Third Tsunami tells the story or tragedy of a Japanese man who served in Iraq only to be dishonorably discharged under undisclosed circumstances. So during that conflict he did and saw things that haunted him, but he's also deeply traumatized by events surrounding the death of his father back in 1995. So the book starts with Masayoshi Kato is the main character. He kills his best friend because he's dying of advanced radioactive poisoning. So we find out later what what kind of radioactive poisoning that is and 
where it came from, but he takes his family to Sendai in Matsushima, which is in the northeast coast, on the northeast coast of Japan, for a holiday while he goes and executes his oldest and best friend. Unfortunately for Kato, this all takes place on March 11, 2011, which was the day of the terrible tsunami, and so his entire family are drowned. This is just the beginning of the story for Masayoshi Kato, who quickly realizes that his family had a dark history that he knew nothing about. And with new friends and old enemies, he must face his past even if others discover his real identity. But his secrets are nothing to be compared to what he discovers on the Red Bridge at Matsushima, a dark truth that has kept hidden for centuries. These are ten days in spring Kato is unlikely to forget if he survives. The third tsunami is a is set in contemporary Japan, where I lived for 10 years, from 2000 to 2010. And it's a political and historical parable as much as a mystery thriller. From the very beginning, I wanted to comment on the relationship between Japan, China, Korea and India. And I thought that the best way to do that, with respect, was through novels. And so that was the origin of um, the third tsunami I have a number of great characters from different countries. My favorite character is Captain Joshua Tree, uh, who is a U.S. Marine, half Japanese, half Native American man. I really like Joshua Tree. He's modeled on the men and women I've met over the years who served or uh, who continue to serve in the American military. I also have characters from other nations, um, such as Mr. Solomon, who is um, an Indian man who works for uh, Kiyoshi Kobayashi, the richest man in Japan. There's a lot of stories um, about Japan that uh, fit these strange stereotypes. And unfortunately, I, I, well not unfortunately, fortunately, I overturn many of these stereotypes and try to write a story that is authentic to the Japan of today, but also taking into account the uh, Japanese culture, etiquette and values um, in a realistic way. Many of the places in the novel can be visited. They're real places. Uh, such as the Red Bridge at Matsushima, where Kato meets uh, the strangest man um, he's ever met and ever likely to meet. And uh, because he's delayed on the bridge for those 20 minutes or so, um, he's unable to catch the train, he's unable to go back to Sendai, and it ultimately saves his life. And uh, the third tsunami walks deeply in the forests of myth and legend, Um, Japan has lots of myths and legends that have echoes in China, India and Korea as well. And uh, as Yamaguchi says early on in the book, the real monsters are humans. And if there are monsters in the world, then they will be trying their best to stay away from people. The second book I wrote is called Monkey in the Castle by the Sea. And Monkey in the Castle by the Sea is an ancient parable about our lives seen through the experience of three friends who worked together to save their world from us. It's an interesting proposition, isn't it? Monkey's world is full of life, and for some reason, which is pondered by at least three characters in the book, the animal kingdoms on um, the island, this land where Monkey lives, are also given the ability to copy and mimic humans almost entirely. So they know how to talk, they know how to fight, and they know how to live like us. Can you imagine that? the animal kingdoms in our world today who copied us. Imagine that, all the animals copying us and doing exactly what humans do. What chaos that would be. This is an ancient world long before the first emperor of China, a world where there are no dragons, there's no magic and no fantasy. 
there's no bamboo fights, there's no flying through the air and all that kind of stuff. It's very uh, 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 earthly bound, except that animals live like humans and the chaos that this brings to the world. Monkey sums up his world when he says, one giant is enough for a world of trouble. And Monkey is the central character in the book. It's sort of like uh, Tolkien meets um, Journey to the West. Monkey's goal is with his friend Rabbit and Fox to return the world back to the ancient order of things where humans alone can destroy the world and animals leave, um, leave them completely alone. Uh, I do have a god character in Monkey in the Castle by the Sea. He's never named. The animals thought it was impolite to name him but spend a lot of time arguing often in front of him who he is and why he returned. Monkey is the only one to laugh at the god character whose appearance Monkey finds unbelievably funny. There are also a series of arguments by characters in the book over religion, faith, and the place of God in our world. You might be deeply offended by Monkey in the Castle by the Sea. I know some religious people might be. But you also might be greatly encouraged. I'm not sure whether this is a book on friendship or a book on the nature of leadership. It could be either, it could be both. And I hope readers will give me their views over time. The third and final book that I've written and published, um, published all of them through Amazon Print On Demand, which is available in your respective countries, you can just order, order it through Amazon, it is called The Curse of Crooked River. And The Curse of Crooked River is set in Australia. It's a mystery crime historical fiction novel set in 1872 in the gold rush town of Golgong. It tells the story of a former soldier who comes reluctantly to Australia to solve the death of his twin brother while still grieving the death of his wife in China. Uh, this historical fiction is about the kind of world Australia was in the 1870s, which was um, quite a formative decade in Australia, in the colony of New South Wales. People look back with fondness to those days, the good old days, but uh, as I show in my novel that in many ways those days were very similar to our own Crooked River was meticulously researched. Uh, it's a, an historical novel. Uh, what I do is I place uh, my character, main character, Nathaniel Chambers, and a few other um, fictional characters around a set of historical characters, people who, who lived at that time, uh, and around a series of historical events and sort of weaved a story uh, through those historical characters uh, to uh, ground it in reality. So the book looks at the role of the church, the landed aristocracy, the Aboriginal people, Chinese Australians and the gold that brought them all together and yet divided them. You might be surprised when you read The Curse of Crooked River that my main character Nathaniel Chambers is an avowed atheist, yet who respects Jesus the man and served with General Charles Gordon. If you don't know who General Charles Gordon is, I suggest you Google it. One of the most remarkable men in British history, certainly in the 19th century, and Chambers hates the church because he knows that the Jesus of the Bible and the church that acts in his name are completely different. And we see this. And it's a novel about a man who craves freedom after fighting his life in a series of wars and yet death and the ghosts of the past that follow him wherever he goes. And so with both Crooked River and in the Third Tsunami, both men have experienced a traumatic event in their life, which is uh, their experience in war. And they're trying to come to terms with, how do I live now? How, after seeing those things, experiencing those things, 
living through that traumatic experience now in a time of peace, how do I get on with my life? And uh, the message I think for today is also that these uh, novels uh, speak to us in our time in the time of COVID hysteria, in that we have experienced a deeply traumatic event organized uh, co- um, consciously, deliberately by the state to persecute us, uh, cause us to suffer and give us pain and misery for three years. Um, all of it which could have been prevented, all of it could have been approached differently. They chose to uh, close churches, shut down the economy, um, bring about unemployment, um, cause uh, uh, untold grief and misery to millions. So this deep and traumatic event has occurred and now we're being told to sit down, shut up and just move on with your life. And so for um, uh, the characters in my novel, they're, they're in the same situation. Chambers has fought in all the Opium Wars, both Opium Wars and then the Taiping Rebellion, which again, if you don't know what the Taiping Rebellion was, it was the worst civil war in human history. There were a number of foreigners who fought uh, for the um, the Manchu dynasty, for the, the Chinese government, including um, uh, Frederick Townsend Ward, General uh, Charles Gordon, and of course Nathaniel Chambers, who is a fictional character, but he's based on a number of those soldiers who fought in the Shanghai foreign um uh, foreign regiment, and then later on the in the Taiping, um, the ever victorious army that Townsend Ward created, and then General Gordon um, continued to lead after Ward was shot. So these men were living in China. They lived in China their whole life. Many of them, they were adventurers, and they tell a story uh, that we don't like to talk about today. That the that the nineteenth century in China was a time of terrible suffering for the Chinese people, terrible, uh, unbelievable pain. Millions and millions of people were killed. Uh, A a barbarism that we have never seen um, maybe before or since uh, in terms of uh, the civil war. And it helps to explain the current political situation in in the West versus China today, that the uh, the the misery or the the fear and the paranoia that China China has regarding the West is based on what happened in uh, that formative period of the 19th century. So, again, the Curse of Crooked River is is a great novel from my point of view, but it also introduces us to a world that, for some reason, we don't want to talk about, um, but it enables us to understand how the world works today and certainly how the Chinese government sees the world um, because they see it all happening again from their point of view. So why digress from politics to faith? I started working on Monkey back in 2003, Crooked River in 2019, and the third tsunami probably since about 2012. Um, Monkey's a standalone book. It's uh, partly autobiographical. Some would call the novel um, parabolic metaphysical fiction. Um, And I appreciate any feedback or reviews you'd like to give, as well as any errors if you find them. But why write them in the first place? I don't know about you, but I'm more interested in life, not politics. Life is where we live, and the biggest impact we can make in our life is our own story. Let me just say that again. The biggest impact we can make in our life is our own story. What story are you writing I went to visit my father's grave uh, a few weeks ago. He passed away 13 years ago, and we sat over the, stood over the grave and looked at it, and we reflected and prayed. We gave thanks for his life, and I thought, what story did he write for us? And what story did he write for God? 
and what story um, do we remember? So the biggest impact we can make in our own life is our own story. I worked on my strengths and I have the creative desire to put pen to paper. I've created three new worlds of fiction through which I can create stories and teach about life, faith, goodness and evil and all the things in between. James says that all good things come from God. Now, Paul exhorts us to think on the good things in life. And what better things in life can there be than music and theatre, good books and good films? In many ways, the Bible is also full of stories, parables, narratives. Some of them are exciting, some tedious, and yet others inspiring. And that's probably because God is the great storyteller. God is a great storyteller for his words tell us about the great narrative, uh, which essentially is that God sent his son to reconcile uh, himself to the world and the world to himself. God sent his son to save us from our sin, um, to walk among us. God made flesh so that we might see God, that we might be restored to a relationship with God. This is the great narrative that God came to set us free from our sin, from our guilt, from our past, from our prejudice, from tyranny, from fascism, from evil, to set us free. And Jesus was the one who did that by living a perfect life, by standing in our stead where we could not stand, by dying in our place where we could not, um, so that we might stand with him and we might live for him and we might follow him. And so God is the great storyteller, And the authors of the Bible wrote well, and many of the books of the Bible are so profound that scholars have poured over them for centuries, and they've found their way into art, into architecture, monuments, nations, and identity. Christians are called to live out their faith in the world, not hiding in church or in tradition, in rituals or rules, but living in real life in the world, among the trees, in the streets, on the beaches, and in the stuff of ordinary life. Christians are called to listen to God, walk with God, follow Jesus, and working it out step by step each day, surrounded by the people whom God loves so much that he sent his son for them, all of them. We also need good stories for men today. I write novels because I'm compelled to write, and It's only occurred to me quite recently that I can publish them myself. I was amazed that this was possible. Um, I don't fit the demographic of the popular writers today, and I will uh, lose my personal integrity pretending to be someone I'm not. I want to write good fiction, solid fiction, not the dribbling, dribbling, sloppy rubbish many people read today with insipid characters, plotless stories, ambiguous morality, or worse, the endless fake memoir, or useless books about my day at the beach or my trip uh, in the train. I'm more interested in the deeper questions of life, such as pain, redemption, and hope, real life. Most of my principal characters are men. Uh, I do have major female characters in all the novels as well, but uh, Nathaniel Chambers in in the, um, uh, the Curse of Crooked River, Masayoshi Kato in The Last Days of Old Japan, um, even Monkey in a way. Monkey identifies as a he. His pronouns are a he. Um, I do believe that a man is a man, and I make absolutely no apologies 
for that. And I write about men. Uh, I'm a man. Um, and I know a fair bit about that because of my own identity. I write about men. I write about their weaknesses, their challenges and potential. I suppose I'm rather traditional in that sense. Uh, and there's the uphill struggle, either standing for the truth uh, or being sidelined or lying about identity and getting ahead. So my stories are authentic. They're real. They're talking about men. How does it, how do you be a man uh, in in the world today? Uh, and in particular, how can you overcome trauma in your life and remain true to yourself and protect yourself in a world gone mad? Uh, and so these stories, they're they're set in different contexts, but really uh, they are, in a sense, having the same message uh, that being free is at the heart of the human condition and that all men uh, struggle with it, what it means to be a man in terms of responsibility, in terms of freedom, and in terms of their place in the world. And so I draw from my life experience. I spent a decade in Japan from 2000 to 2010. I have an interest in early Australian history, uh, as well as the Taiping Rebellion and the Opium Wars in China. Um, these are my interests, historical interests, some of them anyway. I'm very interested in, in uh, some of the early uh, confrontations between the West and the East, but but um, I can get to those when I finish these series. We ignore history at our peril, and we need to reconsider the world of the past to understand who we are and where we're going. Now, all these books were published by Hidden Road Publishing and are available on uh, through print-on-demand, through Amazon. So aside from the novels, I have uh, been on the radio a few times in the last month. Um, I've had the great privilege of being interviewed um, um, by Havare Morik on TNT Radio and Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Media. Uh, that was last month. And um, with Neil, we talked about um, COVID hysteria uh, and my article I wrote for the Brownstone Institute, The Fight for Freedom is Not Over, It's Only Beginning, with Havari, we talked about fascism, COVID-1984, as he calls it, and the role of faith in life. And so uh, they were great chats. I really enjoyed them. Uh, both were very different, and both um, hosts were, were fantastic. Uh, and uh, I encourage you um, to listen to both of those podcasts uh, very interesting, um, both approaching the subject of faith and life from different perspectives um, and different contexts. But I think the more we talk, the more we share, the more we are allowed to talk and share about uh, these issues, um, the better. And that uh, one thing that I have noticed is that what's happened as a result of the nightmare of COVID hysteria, and as we as we pivot into climate hysteria is that uh, there are a great number of people now who are, from, are drawn from all walks of life, all perspectives, all values, and they are working together for freedom and standing up for freedom because uh, freedom is under attack, uh, not just uh, political freedom, but Christian freedom. One thing we learned during COVID hysteria was that many churches who once stood for Christian freedom turned around and said, look, no, we, freedom is, is not part of the Christian message. Your role is to sit down, shut up, and do as you're told. And a lot of Christians just accepted that as, oh, okay, okay, we, we, just, we just do as we're told. Uh, this is not Christianity. It never was Christianity. Uh, Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to bring freedom. 
And God is the God of freedom. And freedom is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God.